Good morning, Crossroads Church. I'm Sawyer. I am so excited to be with you today on this incredible Sunday morning. Right now, I am live from our lovely worship center where I am missing all of you and wish that you can be here. And I know that one day we will be all together soon. But for now, it's so cool to see you guys interacting online. We're going to do something this morning before I go into my message that I'm really excited about that we haven't done for a little bit. And I'm excited to do it. And it's something that you're equipped to do at home, and that's communion. you heard earlier, we are going to do communion as a church virtually today. So right now, take a second, go grab some juice or some wine from your fridge, grab some bread or some crackers, whatever it is. And we're going to do communion together as a church. And in just a moment, one of our church elders, Pastor Mike Underwood, he is going to lead us in communion and honor the Lord and also honor Memorial Day that is coming up tomorrow. So right now, let's take a look at this video and let's spend some time remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I'm Mike Underwood, Lieutenant Colonel of the United States Army, retired, and we're at the Riverside National Cemetery, which is the final resting place of over 200,000 men and women that have served our country's military. Each of them has given up a portion of their time, energy, and talents to protect the freedoms of our country in some way. Riverside National Cemetery is the third largest national cemetery and will probably become the largest cemetery within the next 10 years. Among the gently rolling hills are the graves of men and women of all nationalities and all beliefs. Each one of the graves is marked with a small plate. On that plate is his name, date he was born, when they died, and their branch of service. Memorial Day is a day that has been set aside to honor those that have given their all while in the service of their country. It is a day that recognizes the sacrifice of those that have lost their lives in armed conflict around the world. Battle images like Pearl Harbor, Anzio, D-Day, Battle of the Bulge, Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, Pusan, Quezon, Tet Offensive, Iraq, Afghanistan all come to mind. After the mutter of the battlefields has become silent, each of these men and women are honored with a solemn ceremony. Their flag-draped casket is surrounded by friends and family. The flag is carefully lifted from the casket and silently, with great care, folded and presented to the next of kin. The ceremony is completed with the mournful sound of taps. Just as the folded flag and sound of taps is a symbol of the passing of a military person, Jesus left all of us Christians with a symbol to remember him. On the night before his betrayal, Jesus had a meal with his closest friends. During that meal, he lifted up some bread and told his followers to take and eat the bread as a remembrance of his body, which was going to be broken as a sacrifice for their sins. 
In a like manner, at the end of the meal, he lifted up the final cup of wine and told them to drink of it as a symbol of the blood that he was soon going to shed for them. These symbols have been passed down through the years as we remember his sacrifice, dying on that rugged, rugged cross for each and every one of us. So as we remember our soldiers that have fallen in protection of our freedoms, let us also remember how Christ has given us real freedom, freedom from sin and sin's bondage. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for these symbols. We thank you for our fallen heroes. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son for our sins. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. That's such a powerful moment. I'm so glad we got to do that as a church. I hope you enjoyed that at home. But guys, I'm so excited to be with you this morning from wherever you're watching from, whether here in California, all over our wonderful country, or maybe in another country as you're abroad right now. We are so excited that you are with us today. If you don't know me, my name is Sawyer. I'm the high school ministry pastor here that I absolutely love doing. And it's been so much fun to interact with some of our students throughout quarantine. And honestly, I can't wait to get back and be a part of HSM again and a part of our church again with all of them. But if you're watching around, this is your first time hearing from me, you might notice I have a little bit of an accent. My accent isn't extremely strong for where I'm from, but I do say things a little bit weird. I might say y'all or fixing to. If I get real excited, I might throw a dad gum in there. Who knows what I'm throw in. But the point is that I have a little bit of an accent. That's because I'm from Alabama. I want to give you guys a heads up because I don't want you watching thinking like, who the heck are they putting up on stage here at church? Don't worry. I am on staff here. I did go to school for this. Um, I'm just from Alabama, so we speak a little bit differently. But in fact, speaking of Alabama, I recently got back from a trip there. My lovely fiance, Jordan DeWitt, and I, uh, we got a chance to go to Alabama for my little sister's wedding, which was so much fun. I got to officiate my sister's wedding, which was honestly really, really cool to do. And we had a little quarantine wedding in our backyard. It was, it was awesome. <clears throat> Traveling to Alabama was really weird because it's quarantine and COVID-19 and all that stuff. So Jordan and I, we were wearing masks the whole time and we were, you know, hand sanitizer every 30 seconds. We were wiping down every seat that we sat on, every rail that we touched, like everything. It was super over precautious and it was really interesting. But then being in Alabama again was really weird because Alabama is actually starting to open up again, right? Little by little, they're starting to open. So the week that we were there, it was actually the first week that things had started to open up. Um, we actually went and ate at multiple restaurants like we, we ate at the restaurants. A lot of you, it's been so long, have forgotten that restaurants actually have these, they're called seats and tables in them. Crazy, I know. But we actually did that in the restaurants. Mind blowing. We went shopping. Uh, I got a haircut. Like it was crazy. Being in Alabama, it was just weird. But then coming back here, to the land of quarantine and now being back in home and not being able to go to restaurants or the beach or anything like that. It's just been a little bit weird, the transition from going there, getting the sneak peek of kind of what it's going to be like when all this is done and then coming back into it. My point in saying that is I think we're all kind of ready for quarantine to be over, right? I think we're, or at least we're tired of it. I think we're all ready for the day that we get to go back to work or 
We miss friends or, you know, we miss the freedom to do what we want on our weekends for me. I, I honestly, the thing that I miss the most, and I know I'm a pastor, so you might not believe me here, but it's honestly church. I miss being at the church. I miss Sundays. I miss Tuesday nights at HSM. I miss Wednesday night services and seeing so many people out there playing on the giant chess pieces and the food trucks on campus. I just miss church. And I know some of you do too. Whatever season you're in right now in quarantine, the truth is I know we're tired of it, but we're still in it. Right? That's just the truth that we're in. And so I'm excited today for the topic that we're talking about because I think it's really, really relevant to the season that we are all in of quarantine. And quarantine might look a little different for, for some of us. Some of us are working. Some of us are out of job and on unemployment. Some of us are a little bit more flexible with the rules. Some of us are very you know, fearful. And whatever season you're in, uh, whatever season you're in, however quarantine looks at your house, I just want you to know that you're not alone, that we are with you. But this topic that we're talking about today, no matter what quarantine looks like in your house, it applies to you today. And I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to get into how this can add purpose to our season, add purpose to our life, and how we can look at quarantine a little bit differently after today. So I'm excited about it. If you have your Bible at home and you want to read along with us, um, or whether you just want to watch the screen, I don't know. But I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 all day today, and I'm really excited about it. It's a really, really powerful chapter of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians, if you don't know, is written by a guy named Paul. If you don't know who Paul is, that's okay. Paul's kind of a big deal when, when it comes to Christianity. He's kind of a big deal for us. He, mote, uh, he wrote most of the New Testament. Okay, a lot of people kind of accredit him for being one of the, the founding fathers of the modern day church. Paul was, was this awesome big deal for Christianity. But his story wasn't all sunshine and rainbows all the time. In fact, before his name was Paul, he went by the name of Saul and he persecuted Christians. He actually, he... <clears throat> persecuted anyone who believed in Jesus. He persecuted the name of Jesus itself and was honestly a really terrible man, murdered a lot of people. And one day on the road to Damascus, God met him and changed his heart. God said, Saul, you're no longer be named Saul. You're going to be named Paul and you're no longer going to persecute my name. You're going to proclaim my name. I'm going to change you around and I'm going to use you to tell others about me and to lead people to Christ. And so Paul's life changed right there. He changed from Saul to Paul and he started traveling the area all over different cities, different churches. He was writing letters, which is where we get uh, most of the New Testament. He was writing them, encouraging them, calling them to a higher standard, challenging them, telling them how to pursue God. And Paul all of a sudden became a man that instead of persecuting God, he proclaimed the name of God. And it was really cool to see that change. But even in those proclamations and in his missions, Paul wasn't always accepted. A lot of the Christians that he was speaking to and visiting knew who he used to be or knew who he, they thought he still was and thought, oh, this is a trick. This is just Saul. He's coming to kill us. And so a lot of Christians, you know, rejected him. A lot of churches rejected him. Uh, he actually ended up being arrested twice because uh, I guess he was breaking the law. He actually ended up being murdered for his faith at the hand of a guy named Nero, who was famous for burning Christians alive at the stake. And so Paul went through a lot. He had a past that most of us, I think, would let us define ourselves. Then he had a mission, but in the mission, he faced a lot of adversity, a lot of trials, a lot of danger, the threat of death, arrest, like all this stuff. But you know what I think is really interesting about Paul is that even in the adversity, even in the ups and downs, even in his past that most of us would think disqualifies us, even in all of that stuff, even at the threat of death itself, Paul never stopped telling people about God. Not once did Paul ever say, you know what? I think I'm done. 
I think enough people have heard. I think this is too dangerous. I don't want to overstep boundaries. He never said that. He did not stop telling people about God because he was so passionate about the change that he experienced and the God who called him to do something. That there was not going to be a single thing on earth that would stop him from telling people about God. When I was at Bama, um, I went to the University of Alabama as well, uh, Roll Tide, that's what we say. Um, I studied business. I studied business and I love business. I studied business and communications and I love both of them. I liked the business side of like, okay, the inner workings of a company or management or marketing. I loved all that stuff. But if you know anything about business, um, you know that there's some math involved and I hate math and I'm terrible at math, but I had to do it as part of my major. And there was one math class in specific that I really struggled with. It was Math 125. It was a business calculus class. It was brutal, but it was required for my major. I had to take this class. If I don't take this class, I don't get to major uh, in business. And so I take the class, and the first time that I take it, um, I am, I'm awful at it. It really frustrates me. Um, and I ended up failing the class, I think, with a 40-something percent. Like, it was, it was bad. It was brutal. So the second time I take it, I really hit it hard. I'm like, I'm going to class every single day. I'm taking notes on paper, which is how you know it's getting serious. Like when, when college students step away from the laptop and stop, start using like the paper, uh, that's when you know it's getting serious. That's what I did. I was studying. I had a tutor, all this stuff. And I really imp uh, approved. Uh, what am I trying to say? I really got better. <laughs> there we go. Improved is what I was looking for. And I ended up... Uh, improving my score and actually only failed with a 50 this time. So it was still brutal because um, I realized that the more I tried to understand it, the less I got it, the more frustrated I got. I didn't understand how numbers plus, minus, added, subtracted, whatever, somehow ended up with letters and symbols and imaginary numbers. I don't know what the heck an imaginary number is. And it really, really frustrated me. So the third time comes around. And this time the pressure's on. Alabama has this three-strike policy where you can only take a class three times, and if you fail it all three times, you don't get to take the class again. So if it's a class that's required, you're kind of out of luck. You have to change majors. And so it's my third time. I have failed a class, this class, with a 40%, a 50%. Now it's my last chance, and if I fail this class again, I am done. I have to change my major. Change, at that point, my entire plan for my future was founded on that major, so I was like, okay, this is really it. So I started to realize, okay, the more, since the more I, the more I try to understand, the more frustrated I get, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to memorize the heck out of this stuff. I realized I don't understand it. I don't get why, but I know that I can memorize it. So I just started memorizing it, and I was doing good. I was passing the class, but then it came down to the final exam. On the final exam, it was pass or fail. The final exam was worth so much that if I pass the exam, I pass the class. I have a good enough grade where if I pass the exam, no matter what, I pass the class. But if I fail the exam, I'm going to fail the class. And so the whole night before I pull an all-nighter, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm shotgunning Red Bulls and I'm, I'm, you know, memorizing stuff and I'm listening to worship music and I'm praying the whole time. And then that morning I get up as early as I can because the test at 8 a.m. and I'm walking, and I'm listening to kind of my pump up music and I got all my papers in my hand that I have all the stuff and I'm kind of cramming last minute and, you know, last minute prayers, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And I take the test and I'm feeling pretty good and I'm going through it. I'm going through it. The test is done and it gets to the point where I have to submit it because it's online. So it gets to the point where I have to click the button and submit my test. And I kind of, I'm nervous about it. If I fail this, I have to pick a new major. If I pass it, then I get to celebrate. So I take a deep breath. One, two, three. And I click the button and right there across the screen in big, bold letters, math 125 final exam score, 98%. Math 125 final course score, 96%. I had aced a class that I had failed 
twice. Needless to say, I was pumped. I'm not sure what I did in the moment. I might've you know, yelled, I might've slammed the desk. I don't know what I did, but I was thrilled. So I kind of run out, grab my papers. I have to like check out at the front desk. I run outside, I'm skipping stairs to get outside. I get outside, I'm calling people. I'm calling my mom, mom, I pass. I'm calling dad, dad, I pass. I'm calling my sisters. I'm calling my grandparents. I'm calling my cousins that I haven't talked to. I'm calling people that I haven't talked to since like junior high. I'm like, hey, Craig, remember me? We played basketball in fourth grade. I passed math, what's up? Like I, I'm just, I'm celebrating. I'm telling everyone, I'm running home. I'm telling people on the way back, you know, they're still half asleep going to their 9 a.m. class. And I'm just, I pass math, I pass math. I go, I wake up my roommates. Guys, I pass math, they're celebrating. We go to Waffle House. I'm telling the waitress at Waffle House, I pass math, I'm getting free waffles. Like I am pumped. I am telling everyone. Has anyone ever had a moment like that where you just, you have to tell people? If you have a moment like that, throw it in the comment section. I want to hear what it is that, that you love to celebrate with people. Maybe it's, you know, getting that big promotion at work or, or finding out you're going to be a mom or a dad or eating at a new restaurant that you just have to tell people about. Pastor Chuck loves doing that. I went to a wing restaurant with him one time and he told our entire staff like four weeks in a row. He loves doing that. But when we experience something that makes us happy in life, when we experience something significant in our lives, it's in our nature to tell people about it. We can't help it. We just celebrate it. We just talk to people. We just say, hey, do you hear this? Do you hear this? Do you hear this? Do you hear about this? Do you hear about this? We just tell people. So my question to you, Crossroads, is why do we not talk about God more? Why don't we talk about God more? We as Christians have experienced something that's so beautiful, so wonderful, so magnificent, something that we spend hours singing songs to and, and at church on weekends and we are growing to and we read about and we pray to, and then we don't talk about them. It's almost like taboo. For some reason, we're just a little shy about it or, or hesitant about it. I don't know, but why don't we celebrate him more by talking about it? You know, it's almost like, you know, hey, Sawyer, what are you doing on Saturday night? We should go hit the clubs up in LA. Ah, uh, you know, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, I, got, I got, you know, this, this thing on Sunday morning. It's like a family thing. It's, you know, it's kind of like a tradition. So I got to get up a little early. Maybe, maybe I can come and kind of step out early or, or actually maybe, you know what, I can just blow off the family thing for once or whatever. Why are we so shy about going to church? Why are we so, why, why, why are we like that? Or, you know, hey, hey, Sawyer, how come you and your fiance don't sleep together or live together? You're about to get married. Why don't you go, what happens if you get married and you haven't lived together and you don't even know if you agree with each other and all that stuff? Uh, you know, we just, we don't have an apartment and it's just a little easier right now. So we're just going to wait and, you know, uh, she's living with the parents and I'm living with my roommates and, you know, whatever. Right there, I have an opportunity to start talking about what God's done in our lives, right? Right there, I have the opportunity to take a second and say, hey, you know what? The Lord has purified me from my past and purified her from her past. And no longer does our relationship founded on our physical attraction alone, but it's founded on a love that's greater than both of us because I have been forgiven and loved by God who loves me and she has too. And she's complete in him and I'm complete in him. And our testament to each other and our love for each other is shown and our sacrifice is something that we want to do, that I want to do. But because I know the Lord calls me not to, I'm going to obey him and I'm going to, I've made a promise to her that I will keep her pure and I will make sure that I guard her heart and my my opportunity to do that is in the fact that I'm sacrificing something that I want to do. And that's a testament to her. And it shows her that I'm willing to keep my promises. And so she knows going into our wedding that I've already kept a promises that's tough. So I know that when the going gets tough in our marriage, she knows that I'm going to keep that promise. And when I'm obeying the Lord, he has blessed us so profoundly and it can't be explained. But other than that, it's a miracle. God, he's blessed us financially and with peace and assurance and with calmness. And we're slow to, we're slow to anger and we're quick to understand. And we're quick to hear why, because we're obedient to the Lord and we're doing what he's called us to do. And no longer is our relationship found on physical attraction alone. And it's so much better and it's so much stronger. And I I get a chance right there to kind of go off and to talk to people about something that I'm doing that I know to be better. And I know it's not what the world stands for. 
And I have that opportunity, but I don't. Why? Because I'm embarrassed that we're doing something that the rest of the world doesn't do or because I don't want to overstep personal boundaries, right? Like I think a lot of Christians have kind of those, this, you know, you do you, I'll do me kind of mindset where we have people in our lives that we know are doing things that's leading them down the wrong path and it's destroying them but we don't want to overstep personal boundaries. We don't want to make them feel awkward. And so we just say, you know what? You do you and I'll do me. How selfish is that? We see them destroying their own lives, but because we don't want to overstep boundaries or we don't want to embarrass ourselves, we just don't say anything. Like, hey, sorry, you want to go to the clubs on Saturday? No, I don't want to go to the clubs on Saturday night. I've lived that life and I know it's not worth it. I know that getting drunk for a few hours is going to make you happy, but the next day it's going to make you feel terrible. And the entire week, you're just waiting for the next weekend where you get to do it again. And it's just making every single day miserable because your dependency on joy is on those few hours where you get to be able to be numb and just step away from the stresses of the world. And so when the stresses come back and hit you, it's not that you've escaped them. It's just that you've stunned them temporarily. And I know that it's destroying you in this life and in the next. No, I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to go get fed by the bread of life. I'm going to drink the water that will, I will never thirst for again because I know that it's purifying and I know that it's freeing and I know that I can go and be myself at church and I can find healing and I can grow closer to God and I know I can get fed into it and I'm going to have people around me who can support me and I know that it's better than to go in a club on Saturday night. I'm going to sleep early because I'm getting up and I'm going to church on Sunday morning. Like I'm proud to go to church. I'm proud to praise my God. You should come with me. You should come with me. And even if you stay up all night Saturday night and get drunk and you don't want to go to sleep yet, come to church with me drunk. I don't care because my Lord can still save you and I'm not shy to talk about it. I think we as Christians need to start having that mindset, that attitude. That there is nothing that we can do that will prevent us from not, prevent us from talking about God. It's just got to eat us alive inside. And that's what Paul exemplifies Paul does a really good job of exemplifying that no matter what adversity comes his way, no matter what trials comes his way, he's going to talk about God. And he communicates that in his writing too. So if you go and you read any of the Pauline letters in the New Testament, you're going to see this, but I want to focus on just 2 Corinthians 5 today. Because just in this one chapter, Paul actually gives us five reasons that we should be motivated to talk about God every single day. We look at these five things and by the end of this service, we shouldn't be able to hold it in we shouldn't be able to go a single moment without talking about God. The first one he says is this, it's our desire to please God. The first motivation that we have to talk to others about God is our desire to please him. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9, it says this, so we're always confident and know that we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's a famous verse right there. In fact, we're confident and we'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Can you, can you point me to a more appropriate verse for what we're supposed to be doing during quarantine? Whether at home or away, look at that. Whether at home or away, whether in quarantine or at our jobs, whether in quarantine or at a backyard barbecue, whether in quarantine or at Disneyland, whether in quarantine or at the beach, whether in quarantine, whether at home or away, our desire is to be pleasing to him. I'd love, 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 love for quarantine and for us to be able to go back to church and to embrace the new normal in life. I don't want to forget what we've learned during this season, but I'm, I'm ready to be with my people again. And I know a lot of you are too. But just because I'm stuck at home doesn't mean I'm stuck without a job doesn't mean I'm stuck without a purpose. I know a lot of you, you know, quarantine might look a little differently. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you are still working. Some of you have lost loved ones to this thing. 
But just because you've lost something and just because you're stuck at home and just because we're at home doesn't mean that we don't have a job to do. Our goal, according to this verse, is to please him, to make him proud, to make him happy. And we can do that in quarantine. Um, if it's okay with you guys, I gotta be vulnerable for a second. Um, this is something that I really, I gotta get off my chest. And this might be the hardest thing that I've had to confess since I've been at Crossroads. I've been here for a little over a year and this is something that's really hard for me to talk about. But I think I'm ready to get it off my chest. Um, recently, I bought my first pair of skinny jeans. I know. I feel so good to get off, off my chest. I know a lot of my friends and family in Alabama are, are clicking off and disowning me right now, but I did. I bought my first pair of skinny jeans. Right? We were, Jordan and I were in Alabama, and like I said, a bunch of stuff was open, and so we went shopping, which it's a miracle that she even got me to go shopping. I hate shopping. It's one of the worst things in the world. It's, to me, it's Satan, math, and shopping, and cats. They're like all right there. I don't know why. I just So it's a miracle that she even got me there, but it was her birthday. So we went, we were shopping and we were at a store and she saw a pair of these black skinny jeans and she was like, I think you'd look good in those. Would you try them on for me? I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, I'll try them on. So trying the skinny jeans, she likes the way that I look at them. She's like, I really like the way you, you should get them. You know, what do you feel? I was like, well, if you like them, I'll like them. Why? Because I love her. And I know that if I wear these skinny jeans, it's going to make her happy. You see, when you love someone, making them happy, pleasing them is a motivating factor in what you do and how you live your life, right? I love that woman and I will do anything short of sin to make her happy. And if it means wearing some pants that normally I wouldn't wear that are a little tight around my legs and are uncomfortable, which guys, I don't know how y'all do it, but I'm learning. If it means doing that, sign me up because I know it's going to make her happy. When when our desire, when our love for someone, our desire to make them happy and to please them should become a motivating factor in the way that we live our lives. And this verse is saying that we have the opportunity to do that with God by speaking to others about him. And look what it says in verse five. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, a lot of times doing something that makes God happy is gonna be out of our comfort zone, right? Like waking up every day, sleeping in, watching movies, eating Oreos all day. That's not glorifying to the Lord or to my body, but it's what I want. No, sometimes doing what's uncomfortable is what God calls us to do, and it's pleasing to him. Like wearing skinny jeans to Jordan, that made her happy, so I'm going to do it. Like going out and talking to people about God, it's a little uncomfortable. It's a little vulnerable. It feels a little invasive sometimes because we don't want to step on anyone's toes, but it's what God calls us to do, and it makes him happy. And guys, making God happy and pleasing him pleasing the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the one who sent his son to die for me and you. He's sitting up there and he's saying, hey, you know what's gonna make me happy? Go talk to those people about me. You have that opportunity. That should be alone enough motivation to go out and to talk to people about God. Right there, you have the opportunity to please him just by going to someone saying, hey, here's what God's teaching me today. Hey, how you doing? How can I pray for you? Hey, here's something that we talked about at church this week. I think it would uh, kind of, you know, relate to what you're going through right now. And all of a sudden you're making him smile. And if that's not enough, I have four more, but honestly, that should be enough. But the second one is, is the fear of hell. Paul talks about the fear of hell. 
Fear is one of those things that I don't really like to equivalent with the Lord. I don't know if equivalent's a word, but I'm going to use it today. Like I said, I'm from Alabama. We say made up words all the time. So I'm going I'm to hope that's, that's a real word. We'll see. But I don't really like to equivalent fear with the Lord because I like to think of God as, you know, kind of this graceful, peaceful, loving, gentle, forgiving God, which he is. He's the most merciful and graceful thing that we'll ever experience, ever. Because we don't deserve him. But at the same time, the Lord is very, very clear about the penalty for our sin and the penalty for living a life without him. And he's clear about what happens when we don't do our job in talking to people about God. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. It says this, we are all, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We are all going to face him. I don't care if you believe in him or not. The truth is we are going to stand in front of him, the judgment seat, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, so therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Since we know the fear of what's going to happen, we try to persuade. That, that word persuade, it's got kind of a negative connotation to it. <clears throat> to me, persuade sounds a little invasive. It sounds kind of deceitful. Like when I think of, I, I think of persuade, I think of that scene in Napoleon Dynamite when they're going door to door and they're selling those little plastic bowls and they're talking about how it's this, this you know, groundbreaking technology and it's indestructible and it's on the space shuttle and all this stuff. You have to buy these plastic bowls or you're not living, you know, whatever it is. And, and one lady calls him out for it. And he's like, all right, I'll prove to you that it's indestructible and drives over with the van and just, you know, explodes. And he's like, dang it. And he peels off. Like they are lying through their teeth, but they're trying to persuade people that it's real. So when I think of persuasion, when I think of persuading people, it sounds deceitful. And I think the reason that it sounds that way to us is because we are used to being persuaded by lies. Guys, everything in this earth that we are being persuaded by on a daily basis, most of them are lies. Like social media is a good example. Guys, social media is 99% a lie. I, that's why I try to encourage some of my students to get off of it from time to time. I understand that like most of your world is on social media, but I try to get them just step away from it every once in a while and watch how like deceitful it is. Like you ever seen a picture of someone on Instagram, like, dang, they look good. And then they show up to church the next day and you're like, dang, they do not look good. Like someone is lying. <laughs> social media is a lie. Politics, it's a lie. We're so used to being persuaded by lies, but guys, we as Christians have the truth. And our job is to persuade the people around us of the truth because there's a lot of people out there suffering and going through life without the truth that we know that our God is real. <clears throat> and the unfortunate thing is that heaven and hell are, or that's actually a fortunate thing that heaven is real, but the unfortunate thing is that hell is real. And the people who know the Lord, like you and I, hopefully you're watching and you know the Lord and you've received him into your heart, we get to go to heaven one day. But the people in our lives who don't, who haven't received him, they're going to go to hell. They're going to go to a place that is unimaginably miserable and there's no end to it. And there's no way out. So I want you to take a second. I want you to think about the people in your life that you know don't know the Lord. Think about your friends. Think about your coworkers. Think about your family. Think about your kids. Think about your parents. Think about your cousins. Think about the people that you see on a daily basis. Think about the people that you know right now, they're living a life that is not reflective of salvation and they do not know the Lord. And when all this is over, they are going to go to hell. It's our job to tell them, to persuade them, to talk to them about our God and make sure that they don't go to hell. That they give their life to the Lord. By the way, Ezekiel 3 
17 and 18 talks about this. God says that he put us here as watchmen, that he gave us a job here to watch over his children, his people, and to tell them about God. And one day when all this is over, the people who don't know him, they're going to go to hell as a penalty for their own sin. But it's our fault because we did not tell them about God. He says, the blood is on our hands. In other words, they're sinners. And since they didn't give their life to me, they have to go to hell, but it's your fault. God's saying, don't let them go to hell. That should scare you. That should scare, it scares me. I know people in my life who don't know the Lord. And I know that right now, if they were to die, they would go to, they would go to hell. And that compels me. That motivates me to go to talk to them about God. There's not a conversation that I'm going to have with them that won't be centered around the love of the Lord. I will bring God into any conversation because I don't want them to go to hell because I have a fear of hell. I have a desire to please my God. I have a fear of hell. And then I also do it because of God's love for us. I do it because God's love for us. This one really pumps me up, but it also kind of gets under my skin a little bit. The reason it gets under my skin is because I think it's so easy for us as a church to, you know, come to church or watch church online and, and take communion and, and eat ham on Easter and exchange presents on Christmas and pray to God to um, ask him to help us find our keys when we lose our keys and we're in a hurry to get to work and all that stuff. And then we never think twice about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us to be able to do that stuff. Guys, Jesus, we weren't always forgiven. I want you to know that. Jesus died for that. We weren't always able to just experience the Holy Spirit the way that we do now in prayer and worship and church. There used to be a barrier between us and God because of our sin. And it was physical on this earth. We could see it in the form of a curtain. Jesus died and ripped that in half for us. He died the most painful death to forgive us. Why? So we could go through life and do what's comfortable? What feels good? No, no. He died for you and me so that we could receive salvation and then live for him. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live, that's me and you, those who live in him shall no longer live life for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. In other words, Jesus died so that we could live for him. He didn't die so that we could live comfortably. He didn't die so that we could sit passively by and let the people in our lives go to hell. He didn't die so we could do what's comfortable. He died so that we could receive him and live for him. Guys, I have done things that should disqualify me from ever even stepping foot in a church again. They should block me at the door. And yet because he died and I received him, I'm up here on stage and have the opportunity to proclaim his name and the justice, the things that he has done for me and the love and the grace and the forgiveness that he has given me. I have the opportunity to do that for him and I'm gonna do it, dadgummit. See, I told you I'd break out the dadgummit. I am going to do it because I'm so excited and passionate and compelled and motivated by the love that he has for me. And then look, look, look at this word that Paul uses. I love it. The love of Christ compels us. I love that. When you look at the definition of compel, it's a verb. It means to force or oblige, I think that's how you pronounce it, someone to do something. That's kind of a violent definition. That's kind of a violent word. The love of the Lord forces me to do something. That's kind of like violent. But I love it because 
It's compelling. Some translation says controlling. When we understand the love that God has for us, it controls us so much that it eats us alive inside that there's nothing that I, there's not a day, a moment, a second, a season of life that I can't go through without talking about God because the love that he has for me, it compels me. It motivates me. It controls me. It's like when I got out of that math test, if someone had met me at the door and said, hey, I will pay you $100 to not tell a single person about this. I would have grabbed that $100, thrown it in their face and told them I passed math and gone and told everyone else, on the way. I I wouldn't have cared because you couldn't have paid me enough to keep that inside. Same thing goes with this. The love that God has for me, it compels me. It eats me alive inside. It controls me. It motivates me. I am going to talk about God regardless of how uncomfortable it is, regardless of who I'm talking to, regardless of what season I'm going through, regardless of where I am. I'm going to talk about my God because his love compels me to do it. By the way, his love, it not only forgives us, it redeems us, it renews us, and that leads us to the fourth thing that Paul gives us. It's a new perspective. The love that God has for us, it renews us so much that it gives us a new perspective on our life, and our new perspective should motivate us to talk about God. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. From now on, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in that way. I want to stop right there and just say, um, little side note, I think the world has a tendency to think about our God as this dude. Either he's fake or he's a dude sitting in a chair pointing down at people with a lightning bolt saying, oh, you're bad, you're good, you're bad, you're good. Give me your money. Like that's what I think the world thinks of the Lord. That's not true. And when we receive him, it gives us a new perspective on him. We no longer see him that way. We see him as a loving God, a loving father who sacrificed his son so that we could receive him, so that we could receive forgiveness, so that we could spend eternity with him. It says that we, we view him that way. We no longer view him in the worldly way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is the most, in my opinion, this is one of the most, if not the most powerful verse in the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All my HSM students are probably rolling their eyes right now because I, I, I don't know if I've ever gone through an entire HSM message without saying that verse right there because it's so powerful. Crossroads, I, can we work on something as a church? I want us as a church to work on seeing the best in people, not the worst in people. Because we live in such a bitter and angry and jealous and prideful and idolized world that it's so easy to see the worst in people. I think we need to start seeing the best in people. I'm not just talking about the people that we like. I think that's relatively easy to do. I'm talking about the people that we disagree with and we can't fathom why they would believe what they believe, the people that have wronged us and we can't seem to forgive them, the people who, who cast us out, who mock us, who make fun of us, who put down Christianity. I want us to see the best in those people. We don't have to agree with them. Some people say you can't love someone if you don't agree with them. Clearly, they've never had a sister or a spouse or whatever because you know you can love someone and still disagree with them. We don't have to agree with them. We don't have to support the life that we're living. But let's see the best in them. Let's see them not as an enemy, but as the way God sees them, as a son or a daughter of the living king. Because the truth is, Jesus died for them too. He didn't just die for the people who do right to everyone else around him. If he did, then I'm not saved. I've wronged some people. I'm probably one of these people on someone's list somewhere. And the truth is, when I was living that life that I shouldn't have been living, it took someone who saw 
the best in me. It took someone who overlooked the life that I was living and said, you know what? I know that that's not who that person is. I know that they're in a season. I know they're living in sin, but I know that God died for them too. Jesus died for them too. And I know that they can receive what I've received. So I'm going to overlook the sin that they're living in and see not what they are, but what they could be in the Lord. And that person invited me to church and took me in, invited me to their small group and changed my life. I think when we start seeing the best in people, when we embrace this new perspective on people and on life, I think it's going to start changing lives. And I think it's going to lead us to talk to people about Christ. Maybe it's time to forgive that person who wronged you 20 years ago, who you've been bitter and angry at. Maybe it's time to take a new perspective on the life that you're living. You know, you've been complaining about your job, your house, your money, your wife, your husband, your your situation, your season, your city, your whatever it is, maybe it's time to stop complaining about that and start looking at it as an opportunity through the new perspective and say, you know what? I'm going to use this job as an opportunity to tell people about God and watch how it changes your life. Crossroads, I got to ask you, have you embraced that newness of life that it gives us? Has the old passed away? Or are you still living in that old bitterness? Has the new come? Or are you still living in bitterness and anger? I want us to work on seeing the best in people. And this last one... <laughs> This is some good news. If you're ready for some good news, throw an amen in the comment section. I think, uh, uh, and I, this is unintentional. I think there's been some negative things that I've been really focusing on, but this one's just some good news. I think this is all good news, but this one, it's just good. Throw, throw an amen, throw, throw a roll tide, throw a preach a white boy in the comment section, whatever you got to do if you're ready for some good news, because this one's some good news. I think this one really applies to our season in quarantine a season where maybe we feel lazy, we feel trapped, we feel like we're kind of wasting our time. This compelling motivation right here that, that Paul gives us, it discredits any complaints, any negative thought that we've had towards quarantine. It's really cool. It's really cool. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's what we're called to tell people. We plead on Christ's behalf. Once again, confirm that it's our job to tell people, to plead on God's behalf, to go and talk to them and say, hey, here's my God, experience it. You can go through the same thing. Come to church with me. Come to life group with me. Here's a link to a message we just saw. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, we're ambassadors of God. That's who we are. If you've ever gone through life and you wondered who you are, why you're here, what you're supposed to, what's the point of all this? That's one, that's a big one with the students that I'm in. I think any student up through college or even after it, a lot of people are wondering, you know, did I choose the right career path? What should I choose to do? Who am I in life? What's my goal? What's the reason? What's the purpose? Why am I going through this? What's the point of quarantine? If you ever wondered about your identity, what's the point? Why are you here? This is the answer. We are ambassadors of Christ. And it gives purpose to the moment. And that's the fifth one, is that it's a new purpose. In God's love, we receive a new purpose. Guys, this is the good news. God gave us a purpose within a mission that has no restrictions. I'm going to say that again, because I, I want you to hear it. God gives us a purpose in a mission that has no restrictions. Why is that good news? Because we are in a season that is all about restrictions. Can't go out to eat. Can't hang out with groups of 10. 
have to wear a mask, have to sanitize, have to stay at home if you're not essential, can only go grocery shopping at stores that are considered essential. It gives us a purpose in this restricting season because the purpose is found in a mission that has no restriction. What I mean by that is that in this season that's all about restriction, our mission is still there. It's still relevant and we can find purpose in it. Regardless of you're at home, regardless of if you can't leave, regardless of where you're at, we have a mission to tell people about God. We are ambassadors for Christ. It's who we are. It's what we were put here to do. No matter how restricting your season is, God has given you a job to do. And I think it's actually really powerful in this season because I know people are talking about quarantine. I know people are talking about COVID-19. I know it's a topic of conversation that comes up probably every day for you and probably with people who don't know the Lord. And right there is an opportunity to say, you know what, in this season though, I've really learned not to be dependent on my own ways, but dependent on God who provides for me. And I know that you're really struggling financially. So am I, but guess what? I have a God, even though I don't have a job and even though I'm on you know, uh, unemployment, even though I have a family and it's not enough right here, I have a God who's given me financial peace and he supported me and he's given me this comfort that I can't really explain. I'm kind of drowning in debt right now, but for some reason I'm confident because the Lord has provided that for me. And I know that it's tough and I know that I'm kind of constricted at home and I just want to get out and I want to go work and I feel lazy seeing my wife work while I'm not able to and it's really tough. But guess what? The Lord has provided for me and he's given me peace and he's given me strength and he's given me confidence to support my wife, not to be bitter at her. And it's really helped me and, and it can help you too. And I want, you should come, you should watch church with me this week and we can FaceTime while we're doing it or just let me know what you think because it's really powerful. All of a sudden you're fulfilling your purpose in a season that is restricting you. You're no longer restricted because our purpose doesn't come from what we're able to do in this life. Our purpose comes from the mission that God gave us, which is to tell people about God, regardless of what season we're in. Guys, you want, you want to find joy in this life? Try living out your purpose. If you've been complaining about this season, if you've been complaining about anything, I get it. But try living out this purpose this week and watch how it just changes your perspective on this season, on your season, whatever season you're in. And that's actually my challenge to you this week. Crossroads Church, if you're watching this, my challenge to you this week is let's go live out our purpose with one person this week. We have the compelling things right there. We have the motivations, right? To please him, it's, the, it's, our, it's our desire to please him. It's our fear of hell. It's the love that he has for us. It's our new perspective. It's the new purpose that we found. Let's go live it out and talk to one person this week about God. One person who normally we wouldn't. One person who needs to hear about it. Let's go talk to him about what we learned at church this week, what our life group talked about, what we've been struggling with, but the Lord has brought healing and peace about. And I believe that if we do that this week, if we all go talk to one person about God, we're going to start to, to see revival and awakening right here at Crossroads Church in Corona, California, and honestly all over the world. What I love about what we're doing right now is people from all over the world are tuning in. Right now, we probably have some people watching from some other countries, from other states. I know at all of our other ministries, we have people from out of state and out of country joining in. At HSM just recently, I think just last week, we had a couple girls from Arizona who during one of our YouTube live streams tuned in and said, hey, I want to join a life group. How can I do that? And we got them plugged in and all of a sudden... Crossroads HSM is no longer limited to Southern California. It's, it's multi-state. How cool is that? So whoever's watching this, I believe that if we go out and live out our purpose this week and we tell people about God, we are going to start revival and awakening right here because we are so compelled by the Lord, by our desire to please him, by our fear of hell, and we don't want people to go to hell, by the love that he has for us and what he's done for us, 
by our new perspective and by our new purpose. And if you're watching this right now and, and some of those five that I, I listed out tickled your fancy, if you will. I don't know why that's a saying, but it's a saying in Alabama. If one of those five right there kind of tugged on your heartstrings, kind of like, ooh, that, that's tough. You know, whether it's you've been living for your motivation in life has been to be accepted by people, to find approval in people. And when I was talking about how you have the opportunity to please God, like, I just want to make someone happy. This is your opportunity to make the God of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords happy by talking about him. And you're, you're ready to give your life to the Lord. He's calling you to. Maybe some of you are living in sin right now. When I was talking about the fear of hell, you weren't scared for other people. You were scared for yourself. In just a second, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and you get to say that and all of a sudden that threat is taken away. Death is defeated in the name of Jesus because Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that people, when they say this prayer and believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that he is the Lord and live for him, they get to go to heaven. And so in just a second, if you were scared of that fear of hell for yourself, you say this prayer, you get to go to heaven with us. Some of you, when I was talking about the love the Lord has for you, you were saying, dang, I forgot about that. I need to come back to the Lord tonight. I've experienced it, but I've faded away from it. I've, been, I've gone back into sin. I've gone back into addiction. And I've gone back into these things. It's time for me to come back. Some of you talking about the new perspective. You've had a, a negative outlook in life and you're just ready to be done. You've wanted it. You've tried to refresh your marriage. You've tried to refresh your life. You've tried to refresh your passion for your job and it just hasn't worked. It's time for you to embrace the new perspective by saying yes to God today and watch how it changes your perspective on your marriage, on your job, on your life. And some of you right there, you just need purpose in your life. You just need something to live for. I don't know who I am. Let me tell you something. You're a son or a daughter of the one true living king who created you, who made you with intentionality, on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. Romans eleven thirty six. our life is to live for him, from him, through him, to him. And when you say yes to him, you receive that new purpose. And so in just a second, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. And if you're ready to say that prayer, I, I wanna know who I'm praying with. I want you to text amen to 69922. I want you to text in, be bold, be faithful, be confident right there. Whoever's watching, whether you're watching at home, in a car, with people, with family, or alone, I don't know. Text the word amen to 69922, and we're going to pray with you. We're not going to post your picture up on our social media or on the side of our building or, or call you out. We're just going to celebrate with you. We're going to give you some next steps to take. We're going to make sure that you're not alone in this. But let me tell you something. When you say this prayer, what's happening is that you're saying yes to a forgiveness that God's already given you. He's already offered you. When we say yes to God, you're just receiving it. You're receiving this gift of life, of meaning, of purpose, of perspective, of love, of salvation. So I want you to say yes to him today. Text amen to 69922, and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. So right now, I'm actually gonna pray for everyone who's watching this. And Crossroads, if you're watching and you already have the love of the Lord in your heart, I, I, please join me in praying for those who are watching who are being compelled by God to say yes to him. And there's someone watching right now who's unsure, who's kind of on the fence of, I don't know if I'm confident to talk about God right now. I don't know if I'm ready to make a decision. I don't really <clears throat> want to sign up for, for church or anything like that. I, I think I'm just, uh, I'll just watch and, and hopefully the Lord change me. No, the Lord's calling you to make a commitment right now to just say yes to God. He wants you. You can feel him. So Crossroads, pray for those people. And I'm going to pray over you right now. And in just a second after this prayer, I'm going to lead you in that salvation prayer. So right now, just receive this prayer. Just open your hands if you will, just receive it. God, I pray that you are with 
Crossroads Church right now. I pray that you're with every single person, every single set of eyes that are set on you right now, that are set on this message. I pray for the people that you are calling to come to you, that they're bold, that they're receptive, that they're able to understand and hear you and just say yes to you, God. I pray that you overcome them with your love, with your peace, with your comfort, dear God. I pray that you come into their lives. You change them. You give them purpose. Dear Lord, I pray that you save them. I pray that according to Psalms, you cast their sins as far as the east is from the west and completely renew them and redeem them in Jesus' name. Give them authority. Give them favor in Jesus' name, dear God. I pray that you change their lives. Get them out of any situation that is causing them harm. I pray, dear Lord, that you protect them. Dear Lord, I pray I, against the chains of addiction in Jesus' name. There is someone watching right now who's cripplingly cripplingly addicted, dear Lord. And I pray that you break that chain and you set them free in Jesus' name. And so right now, if you're watching this and you're ready to say this prayer, I want you to, to do something for me. I want you to say this prayer. You can say it under your breath. You can say it out loud. I just want you to mean it in your heart. Because scripture says when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you receive the gift of life. So what I want you to do is right there in your house, Text in, amen, 69922, and then just say this prayer. Just repeat after me right there. Just mean it in your heart. Just say, Father God, I love you. I need you. Invite him in. Say, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Give me that new perspective. Give me that new purpose that I am able to go through life living for you. Give me your love. Free me. Save me from hell. I want to spend eternity with you. Give me a life that is pleasing to you. And then tell, you, tell him you love him. Just say, God, I love you. I say yes to you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. That is the best decision that you have ever made. I am so pumped to get on the comment section just a second and see who did that. And, and praise God for those of you who made that decision. And if you're still unsure, it's not too late. You can still text in amen to 69922. Church, I want you to flood the comment section, praising God for all those who just made decisions, because that is the best decision you have ever made. Welcome to the family. Welcome to heaven, because when all this is over, we get to go to heaven and praise our God for all of eternity in the best place that we can't even imagine. You are set free. You have purpose. You have perspective. You have love. You are saved from hell and you are able to live a life now that is pleasing to him. Crossroads, I cannot wait to hear about all the stuff that happens from you going out and talking to that one person this week about what God is doing and has done in your life. And I cannot wait to hear about that. Right now though, stick around. We have a couple more words from my boy Omar. So I'm going to turn it over to him. But Crossroads, thank you for having me. I love you guys. And I will see y'all later on. Here's Omar. Congratulations to all of you who made a decision to follow Jesus today. And if you did text us to make a decision, be sure to reply with your name so we can send you a gift. I also want to invite you to gather with your family and friends to be a part of our family by joining us right here again next week. So we're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. So if you're watching right now on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on a new message again. If you found yourself thinking, I wish so-and-so was watching right now, 
then hit that share button and send it to them so they can be encouraged. And finally, if you've been impacted by Crossroads, and if you want to be a part of making a huge impact all over the world, you can text GIVING to 69922 to make a financial gift today. Thank you again for watching, and we'll see you guys next week.